Requesting connection. Established. Encrypted. We're live. The show you've been asking for. Advice, technology, and community. Linux first, all others second. This is Ask Noah. Live from Multispeed Technologies, the Ask Noah Show starts right now. This is the show where we came to do all the things on Linux they said couldn't be done and take your questions on how to do the same. The phone lines are open this hour to be a part of the program. It's a free call, 1-855-450-NOAH, 1-855-450-6624, or send an email to live at asknoahshow.com. My name is Noah Chalaya. I am your host. Delighted to be here with you as another episode of the Ask Noah Show kicks off this hour. Free NAS 11.1 has been released. Chris Moore, PCBSD Chris, he is the Vice President of Engineering at IX Systems, the company behind FreeNAS. Now, you've heard us talk about FreeNAS here on the Ask Noah Show numerous times before. I absolutely swear by it as a file server. We have it in exclusively for all of our clients. If we've put a file server in place, it is FreeNAS, and that's because of FreeNAS's robust reputation and their ability to handle really failure. Anytime a drive has ever failed, if it's on a FreeNAS box, I know without with without a shadow of a doubt that the client's data is going to be fine and that they're going to be able to recover. And IX Systems and Chris Moore's team have continued to advance and push the technical envelope further to bring more features and functionality to... Freeness. And so we're going to bring him on and chat about that. I do want to make a, a quick stop to our phones. one 855 450 It's 855-450-6624. The email live at com. Robert calls us from Washington State. Hey, Robert, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, how you doing, man? Excellent. How can we help? Um, so I've been looking for work as a systems administrator um, specifically Linux or FreeBSD, sysadmin work. Um, I've checked Indeed, I've checked Craigslist, and I'm not seeing a whole lot out there. I was wondering if you had any suggestions or ideas. Yeah, I've got a couple things for you. So um, the first thing I would suggest is the way the way you get any job, and this is true, it is not specific to IT, this is true of any job. The way you get any job is it's who you know and what communities you're into and what networking opportunities you have. So the first thing I would tell you is that um, if you're looking for a job, if if budget and time allow, spend some of that time and budget on networking opportunities. So a, a great example that won't cost you anything is if you're not already in our interactive Telegram group, join us there, t- telegram.asknoahshow.com. And I know for a fact that there are people in that group that look for technical talent in that group because they know that the Ask Noah Show audience is a technically savvy, is a technical savvy place. In fact, um, I'm hoping to bring a person on from the group that a connection has been made through open source Linux and obviously the show and, and say, Hey, this guy got this job because of, of the connections he had. The second thing I would recommend Robert is take a look at Southeast Linux fest. We get people hired. If, if nothing else, the thing Linux Southeast Linux fests claim to fame is we get people hired. More people get jobs from attending Southeast Linux Fest than even scale. And scale is probably four to five times. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, they occupy two big buildings in, 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 um, in, 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 uh, 
whatever city is in outside of Los Angeles, but they have this, they have a massive, massive presence and we get more people hired at South. And so I would recommend you check out Southeast Linux Fest, but a good start that won't cost you anything is just becoming involved in some of those groups because you'll be able to say, Hey, this is what I can do. This is what I'm able to do. Here's my skill set. Is anybody looking? And you'll find connections there. I almost guarantee it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, you bet. Thanks for the call. one 855 450 It's 855-450-6624. The email live at com. Chris Moore, he's my guest this hour. Vice President of Engineering at IX Systems, ixsystems.com, freenas.org, on Twitter, PCBSD. Chris, hey, Chris, welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hey, Noah, glad to be back. Yeah, we're happy to have you. So FreeNAS 11.1 has been released. I guess let's start with this. Tell me what's exciting about FreeNAS 11.1. Slight change. It's actually 11.2. 11.2. I apologize. Uh, nine, nine months old at this point. <laughs> my apologize. I, I, I mistyped my notes here. 11.2. Tell me what's new with 11.2. Yep. Sure. So 11.2, I mean, in many ways, the dot two is almost a misnomer. This is a big, big release for FreeNAS. This is a brand new UI. The middleware API has been fleshed out. Everything's properly uh, API driven now. The UI is angular. You know, FreeNAS looks very visually different supports things like themes. We've overhauled uh, plugin engine. So Warden has been retired. IOCage is brought in in favor, which also has its own API and is, is much more powerful. Um, plugins have been overhauled and uh, yeah, the list goes on. There's there's quite a bit changed and I highly encourage people to upgrade to it. Uh, the feedback we've been seeing is, hey, I upgraded, it worked. I like the new UI and then they go back and do their job, which is great. In a NAS, you don't want drama. You just want to upgrade it and everything came back and it worked wonderful. So. The, that's uh, That's been the pretty common comment we see on places like Reddit and on the forums. So one of the things I was having a little bit of trouble uh, discerning, the, the new UI, this is a beta feature 11.2 or this is a, this is, this is, this is a solid this is the, production feature? This is the real deal now. So this is actually live. It came out of beta with 11.2, which is why I said the dot two is almost a bit of a misnomer. Right. But uh, yeah, no, this, the new UI is the default. We still do have the old UI. So if you have something you're used to doing in the old UI, we're not forcing you to transition just yet. But uh, the default login you're going to see is a nice shiny looking new screen. Beautiful new dark theme is uh, the default out of box, although you could pick different light themes and we have a few different variations um, out of box. Heck, you can even create your own. If you're uh, branding this for a company installation, for example, you could even put their logo colors and all that on it to wow. make it look uh, to fit in the environment a little better, right? And uh, because it's Angular, guess what? You can use it on your smartphone now, which is something I've been doing with the old UI for a while, although it was painful. But the new UI just handles that a lot better. How much interaction do you actually expect users to have with the UI? So, for example, I mean, in my installations, and granted, you know, we're I, I, I'm not under any uh, delusions. We're a small shop, but at the mm-hmm. same at the same time, you know, when, when we go to set a, deploy a FreeNAS box, essentially we stick the box in there, we log into the UI and set everything up, and then we don't touch it again. I mean, we go in there and do updates, you know, once a month or so, but we're not, sure. you know, we're not in there a lot. No, no, that's a very valid point. And so the best part about the UI is it should just work and be quick and simple and get out of your way. Because at the end of the day, it's a NAS. You just want to set it up, put it in the corner, and then start accessing it from clients, right? You don't live mm. in the UI like we do. But free NAS, I mean, if you you got to admit, if you've been looking at it over the years, that UI has been looking dated for a number of years now. And, you know, it's about new users, that first impression you make. And it's about some of the features, like, again, if I need to uh, tweak something on my storage in the middle of the night on my cell phone and I don't feel like crawling out of bed and going downstairs, I can now do that. 
right? And uh, yeah, just some of the little flash and pop and the alerts being better, better position, it'll help when you do have to go get into the UI and make changes, it just will flow a little better. So it's all about convenience and basically getting out of the way so the NAS can do what the NAS is supposed to do, which is sit there and serve your data. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm happy to hear that mobile is becoming at least somewhat of a priority for for you guys out there, because I'll tell you what, Chris, I mean, it, as a systems administrator, I never am too far for, without my laptop, but there are plenty of times when I'm driving down the road, it's much easier to pull off to the side of the road and grab my smartphone off of the dock and just bang out a simple change than it would be to pull up my laptop, uh, you know, boot the thing up, connect to a hotspot, all, all of those things. So I'm glad to see that it's becoming more and more mobile friendly and uh, the ui i just have to tell you absolutely fantastic job to you and the team that have designed this i mean it just looks absolutely stellar and you know you kind of alluded to this the approachability from a new user if there's somebody out there and they're listening they're thinking to themselves but i would really like a file server but i don't know if mm -hmm. i have the technical ability to set it up i mean the, the ui will walk you right through the the setup right it's about as straightforward as you can get. If you understand some basic concepts as uh, like disk and storage, and I want to set up a share, and you know, if you want it to be NFS or Samba, it's going to do the rest for you. It's, it's pretty straightforward. And we're actually going to see more changes coming down the road around that area too. If anything, when we port it over from the old UI to the new UI, kind of our mission in life for this iteration anyway, was to not leave any features on the cutting room floor. We wanted to bring all the functionality of the old UI over because just about every single thing or knob or button you see in the old UI has a story behind it. It was put there because there was some need. There was a customer, there was a group of users, somebody said, hey, it would be great if FreeNAS could do this. And we didn't want to take a step backwards as far as functionality went. So we, we tried to keep the flow and layout pretty similar and make sure that anything you could do from the old, you can do from the new. Now, that being said, you know, the new UI is not done in the sense that it's never changing again. We plan on constantly making improvements to it, and you're going to see 11.3 and 12.0. You're going to see refinement. You're going to see some simplification. There's going to be a lot of emphasis on quick wizards. So if you're not maybe as technically savvy with NFS or Samba, great. We'll walk you through all the common settings. You just hit next a few times, and away you go. You don't need to worry about, you know, what's happening behind the scenes. I'm happy to see that. I'm, I, I, was, I was just thrilled i mean we we jumped on top of it right away to reach out to you to see if we could get you on the program because uh you know i've been watching it in rc for so long and it's like ah it's finally there uh and it's just <laughs> it's it's super exciting and 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 talk to me a little bit about i know you have revisited the resilvering uh, process to mm -hmm. so that the ability to prioritize it talk to me a little bit about that because that was something that was sure. exciting to me as well so it was actually a two-factor approach. So if for anybody who's been running FreeNAS over the years, if you're running particularly, disks have gotten larger. I mean, over time, as time's gone on, we're not talking one terabyte disks anymore. We got people throwing tens or twelves in their FreeNAS. Well, when you do have a drive fail, the larger the disk, the, larger, the longer amount of time it was going to take to resilver. And we were seeing some more extreme cases where, especially when the system's busy, all of a sudden your resilver time could be 30 days, which is just ridiculous in my opinion. So uh, two, a two-factor approach was taken. First of all, we ported over something from upstream ZFS on Linux, which uh, does asynchronous uh, resilvering. So basically, it's able to read ahead and kind of uh, you know, read caching, if you will, on the resilver process. Because as you know, ZFS is copy on write, so blocks can mm -hmm. get fragmented over time. So basically, what this does is the more fragmented your pool is, the better the performance will be more like it's not fragmented. It'll, it'll treat things more as like linear sequential reads, which is great. So that's going to improve times just across the board, especially as your pool gets fragmented over the years. And then the other side of it was we added a priority. 
So now you can go in and say, I'd like to bump the resilver pri priority up. So maybe on the weekend or at nights when I'm not actively using my NAS, I'd rather give more priority to that process and not interrupt it for every little uh, request that comes in from the, the system. In other words, by default, we're always gonna try and serve your data up as fast as we can and, uh, and service clients. But in this case, you can say, you know what, between midnight and 5 a.m., that's not as important for you know, our workflow or the family's asleep by then. Right. So don't interrupt anything, give it 100% of resilver and go. And that'll help just you know, speed up the process as well. That's fantastic. And as a as a guy who works inside of data centers and works for a lot of clients that expect their their systems to be up and running Monday through Friday, eight to five, but I've got the weekend to play. Let me tell you a heartfelt thank you. You're welcome. Well, we all needed it. I mean, we're FreeNAS fans. We're users. I mean, we do this obviously for enterprise for our big TrueNAS customers. But you know, most of us, just about everyone in the engineering department and most of the company has a FreeNAS at home somewhere. So, I mean, the things that uh, that annoy us or we want to see get better, we're going to work on as well because uh, you know we want to make our lives easier. Just like the mobile thing was a great example early on in the UI's life cycle. I really stress to the team, like, man, I do a lot of this on my cell phone now. Like, I'm home late, I'm in bed. Oh, crap, I need to go change something. I'm going to go log in on my phone. I'm not going to go get up, walk downstairs, and fire up a computer just to, to make a simple settings change. Or you know, my son needs his jail restarted because he screwed up his Minecraft server. That's another story. But, you know, <laughs> let's, making my life easier. <laughs> so let's talk about that. One of the things that has, has been extraordinarily uh, compelling on um, FreeNAS is the ability to add applications to add jails to add uh, functionality to your file server and that's something that I think you guys were have been on the bleeding edge from since the beginning and now obviously everybody's emulating but I think you were first and um, so as as we look at that obviously a big function of 11.2 is preliminary docker support and this is being delivered as a VM based on rancher OS talk to me a little bit about that feature yeah, yeah. So if you're a Docker fan, if you're used to that, if you're comfortable in that environment, we basically will have a prepackaged Rancher OS that you can just fire up with a couple clicks. You don't necessarily have to do any special setup. It downloads it in the background, uh, fires up Rancher OS, and at that point you are presented with a, a login or terminal, and you can go ahead and start running Docker or use their web UI if you if you so choose, and uh, administrate all your Docker's through that mechanism. Uh, storage you'll access uh, by setting up Docker with uh, NFS shares. So that'll feed it back into your FreeNAS box because again, it isn't a VM, has its own file system. But uh, you'll you'll most likely want to pass it through as NFS into Docker, and at that point, you're ready to use Docker. And if you're more of a FreeBSD fan like many of us, then you can use Jails and not have to have a VM penalty. Do you? So I, I guess can we dig into that a little bit? So mm -hmm. the, it's available as both a as both a Jailer a plugin, and it's available as a full-on VM. No, no, no. Well, so Docker's is a VM. So just, just to make the audience aware, maybe if you're not coming from a FreeBSD background, Docker's a very Linux-specific technology. Right. It requires Linux kernel, needs, needs C groups, needs a lot of very Linux-specific things. That's fine. So obviously on FreeBSD, we're not going to go run native Docker because Linux. So um, in our case, what we have is we have a kind of a two-pronged approach here. We have uh, jails and plugins, which are FreeBSD native. So that's you know, in my world, that's actually my preferred way to run things because I'm not having to run a VM, I'm not having to spend memory. Jails are about as lightweight as a Docker. Matter of fact, you could say they're, they're the original Docker from back in the 90s. If you remember mm -hmm. back in the day when you ran a web server and had 10,000 Apache processes for different customers, those were all FreeBSD jails for the most part. I mean, that's, that's how far back that goes. Technology's been around a while. Um, so in my case, yeah, I'll run Plex. 
on a FreeBSD gel. It's native, it works, it has GPU pass-through now, by the way, which is kind of cool. And then uh, if I have some Linux-specific application, maybe something that's not open source, that hasn't been ported to FreeBSD, which if it's open source, odds are it has, but occasionally you need to run something commercial, you'll go fire up Rancher OS, fire up Docker, or if you just prefer to live in that environment because it's your normal workflow, great. You would uh, fire up Rancher and administrate it through Rancher's UI. And this, I mean, obviously, the, it, this is kind of implied since it's included in the 11.2 stable release. But this is production ready. You, this is this is you recommend that people go out and and use these features in a production environment. Oh yes, yes, for sure. Matter of fact, I'm really, really proud of the team and for this release. Um, this release shows the effort. We have a QA department that just spent countless hours on this. You know, FreeNAS, we're trying to improve the reputation of it as we go forward. We'd like to see the bug counts come down, and I'm pleased to say this last release was one of the most solid yet, which is amazing for all the new functionality that went in. But that's part of the reason why we took the long day delays between RCs. We were really just hammering it internally, trying to make sure we got everything we could before it went out the door. And I think, you know, the results speak for themselves. Our bug tracker did not blow up and the world did not end the day after we released it. So, you know, knock on wood, things are looking good. And you're having the majority of people that are, I shouldn't say the majority of people, but um, there is a, there's a significant portion of your user base that has upgraded to 11.2 and things are yeah. still running fine. Yep, things for the most part seem to be running fine. So, uh, you know, obviously there's some learning curve involved. We have people who are very familiar with the old warden and are now moving to IO cage jails. So there's a little bit of uh, re-education and training we're having to do around that because it, it is different interfaces, but uh, the functionality seems to be there. That's awesome. I'm, I'm really, really happy to hear that. Is there a version past which you would say don't upgrade directly to 11.2 because you may run into some issues or... Uh, we, we tested all the way back through the 11 series. So I'd say if you're on an 11.0, 11.1, I mean, I've even upgraded from a Nightly's from six months ago to straight to 11.2. For the most part, that seems to work. I guess if I had to put a caution somewhere, if you're on an older 9 series, maybe a 9.10 or 9.3, maybe take an iterative upgrade, try and upgrade to like an 11.0 or one of the early 11 series first, and then make a hop from there to 11.2, just because you are coming from many, many years ago now. Outstanding. Talk to me a little bit about the cloud integration, right? Like that is a mm -hmm. huge feature and it's and it's something that I have. That's what actually originally put it on my radar is a couple of listeners of the show reached out. And they were like, hey, did you see this cloud integration thing? This was absolutely fantastic. And I went, oh, 11 is out. That's fantastic. Uh, talk to me about mm -hmm. the cloud integration. That's an exciting feature. So we've had that in, for, since 11.1, which basically it's the ability to synchronize or back up your files from your local storage to an S3 provider. So it could be AWS, could be Backblaze, you know, there seems like there's a new one about every week these days. But <laughs> the point is you can now say, I'd like to do scheduled backups, incremental backups to various S3 providers. And then 11.2 introduced some new functionality around that. We exposed encryption. So you can now say, I'd like to encrypt all my files on the FreeNAS host before they're sent up to S3. So if you're using a public provider and don't trust their security, which yeah, some of us are very paranoid, mm -hmm. that's a very welcome feature. Um, so so in, and then 11.2, we added a lot of new providers as well. There's, uh, I don't even remember the list off the top of my head. I think there's like 12 altogether that you can pick from now. Most of the main ones are there, but uh, you can definitely set them up. And then a little other tidbit a lot of people don't know about FreeNAS, which they're slowly discovering, is FreeNAS can act as an S3 host as well doesn't have really? to be just the client, yes. So if you go into services on FreeNAS, if you're on 11.2, you'll see that there's an S3 option you can flip on. 
And that basically will turn your FreeNAS into an S3 compatible host system. So now you can go to another FreeNAS or an app or anything which can speak S3 and you can point that at your FreeNAS box and be sending data to your FreeNAS or TrueNAS, either one. And uh, yeah, it'll basically look like S3 up in the cloud. You've basically become your own local cloud uh, provider. And where this is really helpful is you're you know, a developer or maybe you're a user and you're, you're normally just putting stuff up in the cloud and you get charged for that, obviously. But maybe you don't need to have all that data live there. You'd rather do some on-prem because it's faster, of course. You're not going over your WAN. So that's a really attractive option. It's an attractive option and it also encourages people to own their own data and to mm -hmm. not be reliant on the cloud. So I, I like that you're giving people both both sides. You can get there either way. Is there a particular backup service or I should, maybe I should say cloud service that you would recommend syncing your data to? And the reason I ask is because we have a number of clients and they ask us all the time about backup solutions. And um, obviously they're all running FreeNAS. So it, it would be nice to to know this is a particular service that is particularly designed or works particularly well with FreeNAS. Sure, sure. So really, as long as it speaks S3, they'll all work. Um, you know, most A lot of our customers and users all are going to go to Backblaze. That seems to be the preferred one just because the cost value. Um, but, you know, we have a fair healthy amount going up to Amazon S3 as well. So, I mean, it's really what your environment's already used to. Uh, maybe the endpoints are faster for you to go to one over the other. You'll you'll just have to kind of you know make that determination yourself, depending depending on what part of the world you're in too. Since we're all over the place, uh, you may find one locally which is much quicker than another. So, um, but the good news is again most things now speak S3 as a standard protocol. Um, so you have a lot of options. That's fantastic. Well, fan, great job, and I'm glad to see that these features are, are becoming more and more developed, and uh, hopefully they get more and more adoption. One question that has come up mm -hmm. a couple of times, is there, and, and if you can't get into this, I completely understand, but is there, a, is there an entry-level rack mount device that you recommend um, that people could purchase from IX Systems for getting FreeNAS up and running? Sure, sure. So, of course, it depends on uh, what you're looking for performance-wise, but our X series is uh, actually something new we rolled out earlier this year, and that would be the series that would be right above, say, the FreeNAS Mini. So you're looking at probably uh, the 9 to 10K range entry level to get an X10 without HA, but uh, that would be a rack mount system, and you could get that from IX. That actually comes preloaded with TrueNAS on it which uh, one of the wonderful things about TrueNAS is it gives you the capability of doing HA. So you already have the reliability and the stability of ZFS, but now you need to be able to ensure you have those five nines uptime. And when you do upgrades or you're doing things to change the system or you have a hardware failure, which let's face it, you know, hardware eventually over time will have a problem. It'll fail over to the other controller. So you don't mess a beat, you just keep on going. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate that. We'll have a link of course to that product in the show notes at podcast.asknoahshow.com. Uh, finally, Chris, uh, I had a mm -hmm. I had a question from a listener. When can we expect FreeNAS to dump this crappy ZFS system and go to something more robust like ButterFS? <laughs> Are you trolling me seriously? Yes, no, I'm trolling. It's a complete joke. <laughs> I just, sorry, I, no, sorry. That's... <laughs> I saw the. Uh, that's a good one. I saw the. I saw. I saw the question, and I read it, and then I went, "Wait a minute, what?" Because the guy is smarter than that. And then I read it again. And I went, "Oh, I get it. Hey, that's funny. I'm going to ask that." Hey, Chris, yeah, yeah. No, no. You made my day. You made my day. There, there's no plans to go to any other file system at this point. There's nothing out there that that holds a candle to ZFS. And I'm sorry to the ButterFS fans, but that's just kind of no, where we're they, at. They'd be, yeah, and they'd be, <laughs> they'd be. You'd be starting with a with a 15 year lead. Hey, guys, yep. Chris Moore. He's my. Uh, he's the vice president of engineering at iXSystems. iXSystems.com. 
freenas.org on Twitter, PCBSD Chris, and a guest this hour on the Ask Noah Show. Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to be here. We appreciate it so much. We'll get you back in the program real soon. That sounds good. Anytime. Thanks, Noah. Yeah. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Again, the phone lines are open, 855-450-NOAH. Robert, Texas, thanks for hanging in there, man. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm great. I, I, I I, I mean, I was looking at the whole time. I can't believe you hung in there that long. Thank you so much. How can we help? Well, actually, um, he, you just answered my question. Um, I have, I don't know if you remember us talking on um, Telegram or not, but I'm control systems here in Texas, and my office manager is letting me uh, redo his network, and he's letting me put in a rack, rack mount, the whole nine, and I was looking, I got the Ubiquiti 16-port uh, switch, man, switch I want to get, and I'm looking at the IX uh, NAS server. And, um, but then my, I guess my next question would be, uh, the red, do you still recommend the, uh, the red for the hard drive? Yeah, absolutely. The Western Digital Reds are the most robust, uh, hard drives. They're also the drives that are specifically built for file systems. So absolutely what I would okay. recommend. Yeah, absolutely what I would recommend. Um, the, uh, do you have, have you made a choice on which device to buy? Um, no, no. Not yet. I'm going to check your show notes for the uh, the reference for the server that you got uh, that you recommend for my systems. But I know I want to get a uh, server from them though, because I don't have to pay for it. The property manager is. Yeah. Well, and you're 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 doing the right thing from a CMA perspective because it's it's going to allow you to uh, it's going to allow you to to shed um, any sort of liability because those guys know what they're doing, right? One of the things that comes yeah. to mind, and and it's just a it's just a thing. I, I I was hoping that the I was hoping that we would be able to get an entry level device a little bit less expensive. Uh, if you if you get told no uh, on the X series, mm-hmm. I would check out the like the FreeNAS Mini, and we have run those in production environments, and we've done it all the time without any really serious drawbacks. So I would not I wouldn't hesitate for a moment to run uh, to run a FreeNAS Mini. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Hey, you know, just if I can pick your brain for just a second, and, and maybe this is the time to do this on, uh, maybe we have you back for a full-on episode, but do you, can you just share your story, your brief story about your, your consulting business? Because I, I think it's very cool, and I think it would give people like our very first caller this hour some encouragement on on uh, on, on starting a career in IT. Well, of course, sir. Well, um, like most of all of us on the show, I've been doing computers off and on ever since I was a little kid. And I went to ITT, uh, got a degree in computer networking, but in my town, it was very limited. So I was stuck working at a grocery store, and so I was putting groceries on the shelf. But then whenever I got home, I had a custom-built PC that I rethought myself Linux thanks to you, Chris, and all the guys at Jupiter. Um, so then I went ahead and just woke up one day and decided that I was ready to do it full-time, and I just started letting people know about these Chromebooks. It's how I got it started. Uh, Neverwhere, uh, Bill over there, he's a great guy. Anyways, um, I started installing uh, Cloud Ready to kind of introduce people to Linux. 
because I say Linux in this town, and people look at me like I am trying to sell them something evil. Right. Yeah, you got three so, eyes, man. My name. Yes, sir. So, I mean, the, the main thing is just, for me, is telling the people how good it is and them understand. Because I don't know how many times, Noah, that I've walked into a client's house or to a business, and they're they're using their default browser, uh, Edge, and they just go, I don't know what's wrong. So it's, that's, that's the main thing that's just trying to get people on Linux. But I, um, I mainly got my start um, with Linux service because just doing it with my free time and teaching myself and doing all these things that you, you tell us all about every week, sir, and I do it myself, and I was able to teach myself. And you've gotten to the point where you just you opened, you you hung a shingle up and provided people with a quality service at a reasonable rate, and what do you know, it took off like wildfire. Uh, yes, of course. Um, so whenever I talk to you, um, you know, the great thing about open source is, is that you can, you know, reach out to these developers and you can talk to them, you know, just like real people. Unlike, you know, you can't get nobody from Microsoft. Right. I mean, you might be able to in the open source department. But so I was able to make these connections in these inroads. And then so I had this business owner come in with this personal computer and I did my normal spill. What do you use your computer for? He said, Internet browsing. And I have to have office because of the certain format. I said, okay. So what I did was I installed, um, I think it was Fedora, and then I installed LibreOffice. But then I changed the name to Word, Excel, so forth, so on. Yeah. And I went to, <laughs> to automatically save as the new format. Yeah. And it wasn't until a week later until I told him. Right, yeah, the, the people. The, the reality is, and I've said I've said this on the air numerous times. People don't have connections to uh, given software. They have connections to getting a given task done, and they they just think they have connections to software because they know that a given icon or a given piece of software is what helps them get their their work done. And and when you watch people transition from one version of MS Office to another, um, that's when you really see that come out. Where they say, "Listen, I don't really care what it's called. I don't really care who makes it. I don't really care how it works. I just need to be able to get my work done." But I guess my point in bringing this up and I thank you for being willing to share your story is that you didn't have any uh, any uh, any special training you didn't have any golden spoon yeah. handed to you you just woke up and said I am willing to put the time the effort to work into it there is a need I'm willing to serve that need I'll charge a reasonable rate and I'm going to do a darn good job yes sir yes sir well that's that's fantastic you have to be passionate yeah passion does you know and no I what you do you have to be passionate that, truer words were never spoken, Robert, and I thank you very much for the call, and I, I have talked to people about this before. I'll get people that will sit down in my office and say, hey, Noah, I would like to come work for AltaSpeed Technologies. First question I ask anybody that sits down at my desk, why? Why do you want to work here? Why do you want to work in IT? And not an insignificant amount of time, I get the answer, well, I know that there's a lot of money to be made in IT. And I always tell people, if that's your goal, you probably want to find a different career. And it's not, I'm not trying to be mean. There is a, a, there is a reasonable amount of capital to be made in IT, no doubt about it. But the people that are good in this career, in fact, the people that are good in any career, it's not because they get paid a lot of money. They're good at it because they're passionate about it. And you're not going to be able to compete with that. And that's one of the reasons that AltaSpeed Technology stays the leader in, in IT services and what we do. 
because you're going to have a very difficult time. If you moved to Grand Forks, North Dakota, and you tried to compete with us, you'd have a really difficult time doing that. And I, that comes off very arrogant, and I don't mean it to be. But the reality is I get done doing my day job at 6 p.m. I get done doing work. And then I come and do a free radio show where I tell other people how they can do that same thing. Then I get done with that and I start researching and playing with technology so I know what to talk about or what to sell to customers, what solutions are going to fit their problems. And then I get done doing that and I start playing with stuff at home for things that I want to do because I think it's fun. I'm recently, I've been working on a home automation project. Hopefully we'll talk about that on the show a little bit in a, in a couple of weeks or a couple of months when it materializes a little bit more. And I go back and forth. And, uh, and so that's what you're competing with. You're not competing with a guy who works eight to five. You're competing with every waking hour. I'm doing something pseudo technical because I just love it because it's passion. It's raw, unbridled passion. And it's the kind of passion that I take this stuff and I live it. It's not just a job. It's not just a job. It's not just an eight to five. So you need to be prepared for that. And so the people that are going to succeed, the people that are going to do really well are the people that understand that. And if, if that's you, if what I'm saying to you, you're like, that's me. I sit at home and I play with this stuff all the time. Then my question to you is, are you making $70,000, $80,000? Because there are people that will pay you very well to do those same things. You can have a second career. And we're here to help you do that. One of the things that we're, we're launching, have launched, I guess, is tutorial sections. And we're going to start producing video tutorials back like we're doing the last days where you can gain a new skill. Our first video is up. You can check it out. It'll be linked in the show notes, podcast.asknoahshow.com slash 105. And it's a tutorial on WireGuard. So if you've ever wanted to set up a, a, a VPN solution, but you didn't want to spend all of the time it traditionally takes to set up a VPN, well, now you can do that. And we've got the guide. We've set it up. We'll show you exactly how to do it. It takes less than 10 minutes. And in a couple of years, when this VPN technology matures a little bit, you'll be able to go out and do that for clients. And at that point, you'll have been playing with it for a couple of years because you heard about it here first on the show because you learned how to do it before your competitors. It was ever even a twinkle in their eye. And that's what's going to keep you ahead. That's what's going to keep you at the front of the game. And we're going to be working with Steve Ovens from Red Hat and him and I are going to team up and we're going to create a tutorial section on getting you the RHCSA. That's Red Hat Certification for System Administrator. And that's going to help a bunch of people. I really believe that is going to help secure jobs. And that's what we do. That's what we do in the program. We help you become the best technologist that you can be because as the caller just said, it's not just a job, it's passion. 1-855-450-NOAH. That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. You're on the air. Welcome to the Ask Noah Show. Yeah, hey. Um, hey, Noah. Thanks for the great show. I just uh, I heard the last caller who was talking about having his company where he added Word and Excel and stuff, you know, in for his Libra office. And everyone loved using it. And I was thinking of um, a few years back when I built my own Linux box for college. And I actually used, uh, was like Arch Linux with open box and rat poison with everything automated because uh, I just wanted to make it really easy for myself. And after I went off to uh, left school, the computer was at my mom's house. And I found out like a year later that she'd been using the computer every day. And, uh, like, instead of having a specific browser, it just said Internet or it said email. And she was able to use it, and she said she absolutely loved it. Her only problem with it was that she didn't have spreadsheets, but I'd never set them up. Hmm. 
Anyway, I just thought it was a funny thing. Th- yeah, absolutely. No, that's fantastic. Yeah. And you know, that's that, you know, kind of tying everything together. I think that's what that's what frustrates me so much when I hear people say things like, "Well, it's not a religion; it's a technology." What? Yeah, no kidding. We all we're all aware of that. Nobody nobody wakes up and goes to worship at the altar of Linus or Microsoft, right? But at the end of the day, this technology it runs our life, and so it's not just. A technology. It's not just a tool. It stores the pictures of my kids for crying out loud. It's got videos of you know when they were born and as they're growing up. It's memories. It's information that I need to live my life. It's the way I put food on the table. It's a lot more than just a tool, and uh, and so I think I think those of us that understand that and recognize that and we come together and say you know what we're going to form a community and then we'll extend ourselves and be available and that's why you see people like Chris Moore available here on the Ask Noah show because I called him up and said hey Chris you guys released 11.2 it's a fantastic release you guys are doing amazing things we want to bring you on the program we want you to talk about it and by the way some of the community has some questions for you would you be willing to address that and he says absolutely I'll be there no problem actually showed up like 20 minutes before the show just to make sure that all of the connection stuff was great. And that's just the kind of, that's the kind of community. That's the kind of support. That's the kind of passion. That's the kind of cool stuff that you're just not going to find in Microsoft or Apple. 1-855-450-NOAH. It's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. The silent drifter username joins us in our interactive mumble room. Hey man, welcome to the ask Noah show. Hey Noah. Thanks for having me. Yeah. You had something to add to the conversation. Yeah, so you were talking with the caller just about the importance of having passion uh, for open source technologies, for Linux specifically, um, but also for, you know, the BSDs and things. And I have been using Linux since 2004. And let me tell you, back then, if you didn't have the passion, <laughs> you didn't use it <laughs> because it was kind of hard, uh, you know, and disrapper and... <laughs> You needed, you needed, you needed passion and insane amount of patience and maybe even a lot of alcohol. Well, you know, I, I don't drink, so I would, you know, but I'm sure that it's definitely true for a lot of people. Um, <laughs> but overall, like, I, I definitely agree. Um, during those times, what really kept me going was just how impressed I was by everything. Um, my first distribution was Warty Warthog, uh, Ubuntu 4.10, and uh, it was. You know, it was it was hard times, but it was definitely worth it. And just I loved the freedom that it gave. And it's something that, you know, as I I actually graduated back in uh, 2017 from college, and I'm now working for a, a dream company. Um, I actually work for Sousa. Uh, but one of my nice. biggest things is that um, the the passion that I have was really evident, um, and it's it's amazing to see that. And I've seen this actually with quite a few of my different employers over the years is that while I may not have had like everything that they were looking for, the ability and skill that I had with Linux was one of those highlights that really ended up getting me that position. Yeah. Yeah. And you, what you find is that, and that's I told the guy at the beginning of the hour, what you find is the people that are super passionate, it leads to community connections. Those community connections then lead to endorsements and the 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 desire to hire you. So, yeah, absolutely. Anyway, thank you very much for the comments. I appreciate it. You two can join our interactive mumble room if you choose to do so. Of course, you can hear the quality goes up just a little bit. Of course, phone lines continue to be open at 855-450-NOAH. Speaking of community, open source, the all of the things that are great in the world, there's a project that's going closed source. And I question if this is really about money because that is how the discussion is being framed. Well, it turns out MB has decided... Like going forward, certain modules will remain open source, but they are going to close source 
the core. Now, this was something that was just passively mentioned in a in a, in a comment, and it, it kind of blew up. People kind of latched onto it and then said, what's going on? And the response that I have seen all over the Internet has essentially amounted to, don't you people understand that we have to be able to fund our project, and right now we're unable to pay developers. Nobody wants to work for free. So this is the... This is the direction that we're going to go because we need to fund the project. And, and, and then the implication has been on a couple of different places. If you don't accept this, then you're a cheapskate who does not want to contribute to or does not want to contribute to the positive development of our software, use our software. Because there's a couple of people that have said the reason I chose MB, the reason I landed on MB was because even at a time when it didn't compete with Plex, because it was brand new, it was a project in its infancy, and Plex had a very stable, very refined code base behind it. I chose to land on MB because I valued the fact that you were an open source project. So what gives, guys? And the answer was something to the effect of, well, I hope that even if it's not open source, the fact that we're so involved in the community and we do such a good job at maintaining our code base and supporting our users is enough to keep you around. Now, let me tell you, I am one of the first people that will tell you that a project leader who is deeply involved in his project is a very good sign of that project having a long, successful uh, life. One of the reasons that I'm such a big proponent of C-File, and we've talked about it ad nauseum on the show, one of the reasons I am such a big proponent of C-File is because the lead developer is intimately involved with every single tiny issue that pops up. He takes people's bugs and problems as if they are a person they are an issue that is personally affecting them because they are personally affecting him because he is personally involved with his project and he addresses those issues and corrects them immediately and so as i have watched that kind of take place i have become very very confident in the future direction of the c-file project so it does speak very well to mb and its future development that the, that the developers are so intimately involved with their community and take criticism and discussion and bring that back and then act on it. So they support their users. And that's a good thing. So I'm not denying that at all. But I question that the talk of closing this core and making it closed source, I really question if users are against that because of a monetary constraint. The, so that was the official answer, not the official answer, but that was the answer from the some of the people from the project on various internet forums. Informally, I have also seen people say, well, listen, 99% of people don't contribute to the code, so who really cares? Uh, you know, the, who really cares if you can contribute code or fork code? Who really, what, what difference does the license make? It doesn't matter. People just equate open source with free, and so they want something for free, and that's why they care if it's open source. They actually don't care about the code. I don't agree with that one iota. I have worked very, very hard throughout my career to get to a point, because, I mean, listen, there was a time where pulling $20 out of my wallet, I, my hands would start to sweat. I, I would start to think about all the things I was giving up if I was going to spend this $20 on, on, on dinner or going out or putting gas in the tank or whatever it was. 
I, I've, I've been that guy. I've been that guy where I park outside of a, a gas station and I'm checking my, my bank account on my mobile app to see how much gas I can pump into my vehicle. And so, and you know, today I can write checks for significantly larger amounts and it, you know, it doesn't really, doesn't really phase me. But the, the, as a person that is capable of doing that, who has gotten to that place in his career, I'm not, I don't ever shy away from donating to open source projects or supporting them. I believe in software development and I believe that people should be paid very well for what they do. But I also believe that when you purchase a piece of code, you have a right to continue to use that piece of code. I was involved with a medical software company a, a number of years ago, and I've talked about this before on the air. They purchased a $20,000 piece of software. And my concern when they purchased it was it required a, a basically a license key that had to be activated on a server. And the problem that I had with that was we, we weren't just buying one copy. We were buying like 50 copies of this piece of software, $20,000 a pop. And I asked the company directly, what happens if you guys go out of business, uh, stop supporting the software, no longer wish to, whatever it is, are we going to be able to continue to use the software? And their answer to me was, well, we obviously can't help you if we go out of business because the activation servers would go down. But barring that, we will always activate the version of software you paid for. I was still uncomfortable with it. I still suggested that we didn't go down that route. Guess what? Went down that route. Lo and behold, a couple years later, all of a sudden we can't activate the software anymore because they changed the policy. So I, this company paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to purchase a piece of software that they barely got three years of use out of. And I just, I don't see that as a, the right way to go about things. I don't see that as a, as a moral way to go about things. Now I am not calling for the government to restrict people on the license that they have to use for their software. I mean, you license your software however you want, but I will tell you that their Plex has a huge following. I sat down with the guys uh, that are developing snap packages and they invite the people from Plex to come to some of these sprints so that they can develop these packages so that everything works well together. So you have to understand something. Your differentiate, your brand differentiator up until this point has been that you were a FOSS product and people like me will use your product if for only because of the license that is there. And now that you have removed the advantage of using a GPL2 license and you've gone to closed source. Now you have removed my incentive to use your product. Now you have, you, you're essentially throwing down the gauntlet and saying, we are competing with Plex. We believe we have a better product than Plex. We offer no license advantages, no, um, you know, theological advantages. We don't have a, it's, it's not a, um, it's not a, I, I hate to use the word belief system, but it's not a it's not a belief system that you subscribe to. Now it's just based off of the software merits. Do you still want to use our product? And this is not something new. I, I was I was actually looking back because I have a uh, I've got notes that I take um, on various things that that pop up. And I was looking back because I remember reading about this. September twenty eighth, twenty fifteen was the first time that I had seen rumblings about MB changing. And of course, back in 2015, that would have been completely ridiculous because in 2015, I'm not sure that they even competed on the same level that Plex did feature speaking. Today, I think that's a little bit closer. The interactive chat room on Freenode Pound Ask Noah Show says, to be fair, proprietary software can also be gratis. And then they uh, they give a they give a link. And, and again, 
I don't think this is about money. I don't think people are going to not support MB because of a monetary constraint. I think people aren't going to support MB because they have a problem with the new license structure. And so as far as is it closed source or is it source available at the moment, the current source code is licensed, I believe, under GPL2. However, versions going forward will be closed source. So that's kind of where they stand. I don't think this is a money thing. I think this is a freedom thing. I think this is a mistake. I think MB needs to tread very carefully. And I think they need to understand and recognize what put them into the spotlight to begin with and what is going to lead to their success going forward. Again, one 450 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. Joel joins us. Hey, Joel, what's on your mind? Hey, Noah, this is Joel. Uh, it's been a long time since I called in, but uh, I've been busy. So I'm curious if you've ever met, uh, had any luck with the ThinkPad E-Series. Um, I'm sort of interested in the Ryzen model. And uh, from, from your experience, how well does Ryzen run on Linux? Also, I uh, would like to know um, if there's any um, benefit to using Ryzen instead of Intel nowadays, especially with the Spectre and Meltdown vulnerabilities. I'll 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 start. I'll tell you what, Joel. I'll start backwards and work my way uh, work my way backwards. Does uh, is there any any advantages of Ryzen over Intel? I would tell you that if you are looking to eke every little bit of performance out of a system and do that as cost effectively as possible, that's where Ryzen has some advantages. If you want a rock stable system and you don't care what it costs, it just has to work 100% of the time and you need the most amount of performance possible at any price point, then you're going to then you're going to go with Intel. And uh, this is a hotly debated topic right now in the chat room that we're, we're going to get into it. I can see that we're going to have a fight about this, but but that is the truth. The truth is that you are not going to see Amazon and Google uh, th throwing out their Intel ice, uh, their Intel Xeons for for Ryzen boxes. I'm not seeing that happen. I think that any in in serious production workflows, I think you're going to see people stick with Intel because they have a proven track record. Now that may change five ten years down the road, but. Uh, Right now, the Ryzen is a budget product. That's what it is. That's why people are interested. If you looked at the reviews when they first came out, one of the big things that people were were champing about Ryzen is, here's the performance of Intel, here's the performance of Ryzen, and here's the cost difference. If you're purely talking about the technical differences, the performance differences, if you're purely talking about power differences, then price doesn't factor into it at the moment. You can just say, this is a better processor because it's a better processor. Oh, by the way, it happens to be cheaper. But these are all the things that makes it a better processor. The issue is, give me a Ryzen processor, and I will give you a better Intel processor. And that goes for anybody. Right into the show, live at asknoahshow.com. Give me a Ryzen processor. Leave price out of it. Just give me a model of Ryzen processor that you don't think I can beat in pure specifications. And I will I'll respond to your email, or we'll talk about it on the air, and I will show you which Intel processor can stomp out that, that Ryzen processor. And again, that's not to that's not to crap all over Ryzen. My my uh, my friends over at Level One Techs, they're all in on Ryzen and Ryzen technology, and it's a very it's a it's a it's a great thing anytime we have competition because it means the envelope is going to be pushed forward. It means that we are going to ultimately get a better system, be it on Ryzen, be it on Intel. The the end winner is always going to be the end user. So I'm thankful for Ryzen. 
I have a Ryzen system. In fact, when we built out the studio, we seriously considered doing it based on Ryzen uh, processors just because it provides some competition. And my friends over at Destination Linux, that, we air, that show airs every Wednesday, we've chatted about this. Obviously, Ryan is a big fan of Ryzen. He's a big fan of, of Team Red. So, I, you know, we'll see what happens, but I, at the moment, I don't think that you can argue that Ryzen is a, is a, is a, is a better processor. It's just a more budget-friendly processor. Working back to some of your other questions, how well does it run Linux? Fantastic. Plenty of people running Ryzen on, or Linux on Ryzen. Absolutely fantastic choice. I don't have any issues with that at all. I don't think you're going to have any better or worse of a, an experience with Linux on Ryzen than you would with Windows on Ryzen. I would run that all day long. As far as your question about uh, ThinkPad E-Series, the E-Series is kind of their budget line. Um, you see them used a lot in schools. Uh, so they roughly translate directly to the, I believe it's the T-Series. So the E430 is the same as the T430, except with a slightly less expensive chassis. I could be wrong on that, but that's my understanding of the E-Series. Would I recommend you buying one? Sure. My kids have an E-Series, but, uh, but I don't have a problem with that at all. Uh, they're great computers. They, at the end of the day, they're all made by Lenovo. They've all got the same internal parts. You just have to be a little bit more careful with it. Again, open phone lines this hour, one 450 noah That's 855-450-6624. The email live at asknoahshow.com. The Linux kernel is headed up by the Linux Foundation, and the uh, I guess the, the main site for Linux is linux.org. Well, this, the, this last week, linux.org was uh, defaced and they essentially posted if you've uh, do not google this if you have small children around you but there is a meme called goatsy and they reenacted this meme and posted a very graphic picture on linux.org they also wrote get owned linux nerds and then they proceeded to publish all of the personal information from a transgender Linux developer by the name of Coraline. And we have talked about Coraline on this show before. Let me be clear. I don't think that Coraline and I agree on much. I don't think we agree on much from a sociopolitical st uh, standpoint. I don't think we agree on much as it relates to the code of conduct that was recently published for the Linux kernel which Coraline was a huge proponent of, and I was a huge... I, I, I guess I didn't really care one way or the other. I mean, they do, you do you. That's my opinion. You do whatever's best for you. You guys are the ones that develop... And girls are the ones that develop the Linux kernel. You do you. Uh, I'll stay out of it. But I don't think Coraline and I agree on much. This is childish. This is childish. It is immature. It helps nobody. To publish the personal home address of a controversial person who undoubtedly has already probably suffered insane amounts of bullying and scrutiny and and uh, and just downright meanness to publish that information in such a public way and not just not just Coraline's name and address but social security number previous name I mean just absolutely ridiculous. I don't agree with the new code of conduct per se. I tell you what, if it was, if I was in charge of the Linux kernel, I'm not sure that we would be having that code of conduct. I'll just tell you that right now. 
But if I wanted to argue against the code of conduct, I'm going to argue against the code of conduct and I'll argue against the code of conduct based on merit. This is a childish attempt to try to to try to manipulate the conversation, because if you can scare your opponent, in this case, Coraline, a proponent of the COC, if you can scare your opponent, if you can make them feel small and insignificant and like you have more power over them because now you have published this information and there are people that could do bad things to you because they know where you live. So you better be careful what you say. You know what that tells me? That tells me that this person, whoever it was that did this despicable act, doesn't really believe that the code of conduct is a bad idea based on the merits alone because they have to resort to this crap to make their point. If the code of conduct was really that bad of an idea, if the code of conduct was really such a horrible idea, then you should be able to list out the merits and demerits of the code of conduct. And then we can go ahead and have that discussion. And because you're so right, it's going to come out and be very obvious that it's a bad idea. The code of conduct for Southeast Linux Fest, it was a really bad idea. And we didn't have to dox anybody to make that point. We didn't have to publish anybody's information and make somebody a target to make that point. All we had to do was list out all of the reasons to do it, all of the reasons not to do it. We looked at the empty page and the reasons to do it, and we looked at the full the full page of reasons not to do it. And it was a pretty clear decision. We made it and went from there. And we had that discussion like mature adults. So I find I was, this makes my blood boil and I get very upset about it. And it's not because I agree with Coraline and it's not because I don't agree with the, with the position anyway of the people that perpetrated this ridiculous act. But the way that you're going about this sways no one. Nobody woke up and visited Linux.org and saw that disgusting image and that disgusting text that accompanied your disgusting, ridiculous image and said to themselves, you know what? That's pretty clear to me that we don't need a uh, that we don't need a we don't need a code of conduct. Um, you know, these people, they seem like they behave like rational adults. I mean, I'm not sure that uh, I'm not I'm not really sure that we need this. No, actually, I think there's a lot of people, and I'm seeing it in the chat room now, there's a lot of people that are looking and saying, you know what, that seems like a pretty good reason to have a code of conduct because people don't know how to act. People don't know how to conduct themselves. They don't know how to treat other people with mutual respect. So, good job. I'm glad you got your couple, I'm glad you got a couple hours of, of fame. I'm glad that I can return the domain to its proper owner and everything was restored. I hope you, I hope you had fun being the little, little person that you are. And uh, I hope you know that you've accomplished nothing other than to vilify yourself. And I hope I was very clear about that because I would hate to be unclear. I want you guys to check out podcast.asknoahshow.com. There we have links and references to all of the things that we talked about in the show. And one of the things that I'm super excited about, head over to YouTube. There's a link to our VPN tutorial uh, for WireGuard. Now, even if you're not interested in setting up WireGuard, make sure to go ahead and subscribe to that channel because that is where we are going to publish video-specific content. The Asanoa channel, we have all of our shows, our show archive that is there, plus anytime we publish a show, obviously the YouTube version of that goes out. This new channel, 
is going to be specifically for video centric content. We're going to make that available because we know that there's people out there that like visual content. And so we're going to publish that on a second YouTube channel. So you'll find tutorials, interviews, stuff like that. Make sure to check it out and subscribe because you're going to get some really fantastic stuff there. Very well done. Very refined stuff. Hey, guys, did you know this show is available as a downloadable podcast? You can download the show at podcast.asknoahshow.com. There you'll get the entire show. If you're not doing that, you're only getting part of it. The Ask Noah Show continues next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Central. A huge thanks to Benner producer Sarah R. Call Screener. This hour of the show may be over, but there's plenty more content for you 24-7 at asknoahshow.com.